Please turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 1. When you are first introduced to someone, what things do you usually discover in that initial introduction? Name? My name is John. I do this. What do you do for a living? Where do you live? Where were you born? How many, are you married or single? Do you have any children? Right? Kind of basic things. What do you activities do you like? Oh, you play softball or you play whatever. Things that you have in common usually will come up because you have them in common. And you get to know somebody as you spend those time that time together. Well, this morning, we are beginning a brand new series on the book of Galatians. And we're doing what I'm calling introductions this morning. We're going to introduce the book. We're going to introduce the setting, the circumstances, the things that were going on. Because they all play a role in understanding what's happening in the book itself. And it's so easy to go through Scripture. It's easy to go through Scripture and just focus on the passage and interpret or try to understand it in light of where we are today instead of in light of where they were at the time it was written. And proper exegesis requires that. If you've never heard the term exegesis before, it's just a big seminary word that means to lead the meaning out. The word eisegesis means to write your own meaning on the text. And a lot of people will do that. We call it proof texting. So I believe something. So I'm going to go pull verses out of context, not understanding what they really meant to prove my point. And I can't tell you how many emails over my lifetime have had eisegesis with every verse. Because they were trying to prove a point instead of letting the Bible speak for itself. And so we're not going to do that. We are going to exegete the scriptures. And so we're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 5. But then we're going to back up and we're going to talk about the... As we look at the introductions, we're going to back up. We're going to talk about the background. We're going to look at the writer. And then we're going to look at the author. Which they're two different things. The writer and the author are two different things here. And so we're going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 5. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that we, he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of, of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Father, I thank you for your word. And Father, I pray as we get to your word today, I pray that our understanding of the history and the, and the things that were going on in Paul's life when he came to the time of this writing will shed light so that we can accurately understand his heart as we travel through these verses. Thank you for what you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so I wanted to show you this morning 
this Galatians or Galatia is this area here, and it encompasses it encompasses these churches that are in here. Or these these are cities, but there were churches in each city um, at that time. And so the book of Galatians was not written to a particular church. It was written to a particular region of churches. And so Paul, let me give you the background for that. Paul traveled through Galatia on his second missionary journey. You'll find that in Acts chapter 16 and verse 6. And so while he was there, so Paul's going, he's doing the will of God. He's following God's heart. He's doing what God told him to do. He gets into the Galatia and he gets sick. Which delays him. And he stays there. But it didn't stop him. He preached a sermon about Christ crucified. And from that sermon, that one sermon that he preached there, because he got delayed, they were, they, it's believed they were headed for Spain at that time, but they were prevented. This is part of the prevention that several churches were launched. The people who had come to hear him, you know, back then they didn't have, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have television, and they didn't have all these other things. They came out to hear him. And they were country folks. And they were scattered in what was rural districts. They, they considered them rural districts at that time. And so, here he's preaching. But they were not the only people who showed up. There were also teachers of the law. That came and were following or, and were giving Paul a hard time. They're also known as Judaizers. Have you ever heard that term before? couple of you. They were called Judaizers. And they were claiming that salvation is found in works. And so it's all about what you do, not about who you know. And so the Judaizers, the Judaizers themselves were making claims about Paul that he wasn't a true apostle because he wasn't teaching that. And they were also requiring those who came to faith in Christ to be circumcised. And to go through that ceremonial ritual. So this book itself addresses freedom in Christ. It's not freedom from the law. We know that from the Gospels, but it's freedom in the law. Let me explain it like this. We've all been to a public park, right? When you go there, you'll see a sign that says, do not walk on the grass, no pets allowed, pick up your trash, and all those things. You know what I'm talking about, right? When you're led into the park, if those signs, if those laws had not been in place, it would be a vacant lot, wouldn't it? All that would be ruined. So freedom in the law is how grace and law work together. It allows us to enjoy all that God had done, all the requirements that God had laid out for our own benefit. 
And so that's how that works. That's how they pull together. And so it's important as we begin this study that, you know, because we think of Paul's books, you know, when he, when he writes things, writing to the specific church. And this is Paul writing back to this group of people who heard him, who received Christ, whose lives were transformed, who went out and churches were started. And he feels a sense of responsibility to them. And so he goes out and he begins to equip them through this book and address this heresy that is being perpetuated by the Judaizers that now that you're saved, it's all these works that you have to do to prove to be saved. All these things to make, to show or to actually become a part of God's family. And the heart of the book, it's really interesting, and you'll probably hear me say this again, but this is the only, this is one of the few books that has a defense instead of um, a warm uh, tone to it. Or uh, the other books have commendations of the saints. This one does not. This one, as we move further into it, says, I'm, I'm shocked at how quickly you've been removed from the truth. And so he begins to address those things. See, it's so easy for us to fall into this I do mentality of Christianity. And that's what, he, that's what this is really, the whole book is about. Because that's what the Judaizers were coming to infuse upon them. And so that gives you a little bit of an idea of the background of the writing of Galatians as we move into that. Then we see the writer. Paul, Paul is the writer and he asserts his apostleship, which is not a surprise considering the Judaizers had been working that region saying, he's not an apostle, he's not doing these things, he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing, he's obviously not preaching the truth, and the things he's heard or the things that he's teaching, he learned from someone else. He's not an apostle, he doesn't qualify. And so he asserts that here, Paul an apostle, and he gives some evidences to his apostleship. He said that he was not sent by man or the, the agency of man. Now, the Judaizers who were there were sent by the high priest. They were sent by the leaders of Judaism to, because, now listen, this is all they had known. This is what they had embraced. They had they had centuries of this teaching that had been added, they had embraced and said and taken all of it in and said, this is true and this is right. It matched God's word, uh, the word that they had at the time. And this guy is coming in preaching a new gospel. And, and Paul's standing there saying, I'm not here because somebody sent me like they were, that they are. I'm here because God sent me. I didn't come through some agency of man. He goes on, he says, I'm here through Jesus Christ. 
See, that's upon the authority on which he stands. And you know what, folks? When we go into the world, that's the authority we have as well. We don't think about that. We kind of hope he helps us. But that's the authority by which we are here. If not, why wouldn't he just take us out? We represent Christ when we go into this world just like Paul did. When we do what we're called to, when we embrace the things that God's placed before us, we stand on the very authority of Jesus Christ. We need to remember that and not take those things lightly. The only reason we're given the opportunity to do the things we do or to be where we are or to be there in the moment is because of his authority and because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So he was he said here that he was not sent by man or the agency of man. It wasn't some uh, consortium that came together and said, we need to send this, these uh, Judaizers down. I mean, Paul down. He was sent through Jesus Christ. He was sent through the Father who raised him from the dead. And, you know, it's so funny because it's so we just read by this stuff and don't take a moment. When he talks about being sent by Jesus Christ, we have his authority. But when he talks about the Father, we see the power of God in the, in the resurrection life that came through Jesus Christ. And so he didn't just go in the authority of Christ, he went in the very power of God. Listen, isn't there a verse that says, if God is for me, who can be against me? Amen. Amen. And when you know that you're on journey for the Lord, when you know that you're doing what God has called you to do, when you know that you're standing there because He's asked you to stand there, then His power goes with you. And God speaks to people. Here's Paul that traveled into Galatia, preaches a sermon on Christ crucified. People get saved and churches start. And that's the hand of God, folks. Only God can do that. And so we go not only in His authority, we go in His power as, as Paul did. In other words, Paul was speaking with authority from God and not man. That was his point here. He was having to address this false teaching and this false thing that was going on. To try to undermine what God was actually doing. And so we have to be careful because listen, the enemy will try to undermine the hand of God all the time. He'll make everything much more fun than serving the Lord. He'll make it. But I'll tell you what, have you ever been there in a moment when the hand of God moved and you knew it was the hand of God? There's nothing the world offers that compares to that. Nothing. How many of you would trade that for something the world offers? The sad thing is, I would have said no to you, by the way. The sad thing is, is we do do that at times, don't we? We choose the world over the Lord. But we're glad for those experiences that we have with Him.
And so this letter, the Galatians, the, the letter to the Galatians, is written to the churches of Galatia by God through Paul and is sent representing Paul and all those with him. And interesting, he gives a mention to the people with him. Because it takes a village, folks. It takes a heart. They were united. And so God is the author, even though Paul is the writer. The things that were going on here affected Paul so much. This is one of the only books that was penned by his own hand. He couldn't wait for a scribe. Even though there were people with him, apparently none of them were scribes. Because he pens it by his own hand. He was moved so much. This is where the idea about Paul comes in. That Because remember he talks about this infirmity in his flesh. This is where the idea comes that it was an eye problem. Because he couldn't see. Because he talks later on in the book about the letters being so large. It would be interesting to see it to the actual writing today. I wish we had it. To see the size differences. To see it for ourselves. And so, he writes that to them. To share about freedom in Christ. But he begins to greet them. We see the greetings in verses 4 and 5. And what goes on here, we discover that the Father and Jesus are sending greetings to the churches of Galatia of both grace and peace. And so this goes back to what Paul was talking about when he said that he was sent by God. When somebody sends you, have you ever been on the phone and they say, hey, say hi to so-and-so, you say hi to Kathy for me or whatever. Um, have you ever gone to usually your spouse? Doesn't that feel a little bit awkward? Hi, Terry. Somebody says hi. It feels funny, right? A little bit. We do it. We let them know. But he had had conversations with God and he had, God had stopped and put him there and stopped him by illness so that he could share the word of God. And his heart was there. And so what happens is this letter comes out of that. And we discover that the Father and Jesus are sending greetings to them. And the greetings they're sending are both grace and peace. Now remember we talked about grace last week. Or a couple weeks ago. We talked about the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. And so he's sending them greetings of grace not getting what we deserve which is really interesting and may shed light on the next thing he says grace and peace because Jesus Christ is our peace and none of us deserve him and so it's all here but we just read and cruise right through it so we're not going to try we're going to try and open some of this up a little bit and so when he says greetings of grace and peace realize that God has planted, given you something you don't deserve. His name is Jesus Christ because he is our peace. And we get a, we get a brief look into Jesus' heart here. And we learn that he gave himself 
You know, we all talk about the cross. We talk about what Jesus did. We talk about the garden. We talk about the empty tomb. But here we're told that Jesus gave himself so that he might rescue them from that present age. Very interesting. Isn't that interesting to you? It's interesting to me. Because how do we talk about salvation when we share Christ? Would you like to go to heaven when you die? That's not what Jesus said. He wanted to rescue them from that present age. You see, ladies and gentlemen, salvation is not a destination. Salvation is victory over the the events and the affairs that go in our lives today. In the moment. And he says that to them here. Your salvation is for today. He is saving you now from the world. He is saving you from the enemy, the devil. He is saving you from your flesh because you don't have to give in to it. Which when we give in to all of that, we reap death. And so his desire, I mean, imagine if that was the evil age, where were we today? The Bible says evil men wax worse and worse. We're in a day when people can't even pursue truth together. They just have to pursue being in charge. And then so they can do whatever they want to do. You know, I've been watching that. I've been watching some of this, all this political garbage that goes on. There used to be respect and conversation and compromise. And it's, it's us against them. And you can define us and you can define them in any way you desire. But that's what we have. We have adversaries today. Instead of people pursuing common goals. There's levels of hate and people are getting hurt and even killed over ideas. Instead of (laughs) political ideas, instead of realizing that you just have sent somebody to their eternity over an idea, why don't we pursue Him and let Him unite our hearts? Let Him bring everything into perspective. So He greets them. We learn. That Jesus came to rescue us for today. But we also learned that it was the Father's will. We knew that, right? Jesus was in the garden praying. What did he pray? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So we already knew that. Amazing how scripture matches. You know, the writer of that, the writer of this was different, but the author was the same. It's the Holy Spirit. And so it was the Father's will. See, the Father wants you. The Bible tells us it's the Father's will that none should perish. Have you all read that verse? Do you know the verse I'm talking about? 
That's his will. It's his desire that none should perish. You know, I debated on preaching on free will and predestination. That verse torpedoes predestination as it's understood and taught today. God's not going to determine somebody to heaven and not determine somebody else and say, it's my will that none should perish. When they don't have a choice. That's not free will. But what about this verse? What about that verse? Looks like I'm going to end up doing this. But I would encourage you to read them in context. Ask who he's speaking to and what the predetermination is about. If I predetermined a child to mow the grass and they go, well, that naturally means a sunburn. I didn't predetermine them to a sunburn. And that's what's been happening. I'll explain that. Probably, I'm probably going to end up having to do that with the sermon now. Because I think there's a lot of false teaching out there today that casts God in a bad light. They don't play it out. They want to use the verses, but they pull them out of context. My friend has challenged me, and he's challenged me on some things I've got to work out. I've got to see if they're real. I mean, the truth has got to be the truth, whether I like it or don't. And so I would encourage you to study that topic. But see, we see that it was the Father's will. Therefore, he leaves us. This is just the introduction to this book. So, therefore, we give him glory forevermore. See, our salvation glorifies the Father. If I were to ask you, say, would you like to give God glory? Do you want your life to give God glory? Your salvation does that. It does it. it. We give Him glory because He saved us. We serve Him because He saved us. We love one another because He saved us. Because I'll tell you, without that, without the hope of Christ... This would be all a self-centered, we'd all be self-centered people. Not that we aren't already. (laughs) Anybody here ever been self-centered? Welcome to the crowd. And so we have some greetings. We see our author and our writer and we see a little bit of the background. But what does that leave us with? We learn from this introduction. <clears throat> no matter what events are going on in your life, God is at work. We should pay attention. You ever fight God about the events going on in your life? <laughs> God, why would you let me get sick? I'm headed for Spain. Can you imagine that conversation? And he's so focused on what he thinks God wants him to do, being godly. He's not paying attention to what God's actually doing. And I'm afraid that we do that a lot as Christians. We get an idea on what God wants or what we think he wants or what we want. And 
when he stops us or he diverts us or he delays us or he does, he does other things or even speeds us up. We're like, wait a minute, I'm not ready for that one. What? What's happening? And we go, God, where are you? Instead of saying, man, God's in the middle of this. I better find out why. I better find out what's happening. Let me not miss my opportunity. Or just simply preach Christ wherever you find yourself. And not compromise. See, we think being going to, <laughs> we think being a Christian means we're good people. Or we're pursuing to be good people. That we're kind and gentle. Being a Christian does not mean that. Being a Christian means you follow Christ. Means you're in love with Him. Means He's the number one in your life. Let me tell you this. Jesus is more important in my life than Terry is. And He better be more important in her life than I am. Which I know He is. He's first, folks. That's the only way our relationship works. Is when Jesus is in the right place. Because as we draw closer to him, we're closer to each other. We have a common goal. And his name is Jesus. And so no matter what events are going on in your life, God is at work. Pay attention. Pay attention so you see both what he's doing and accurately understand your part. I want you to know this. It may not seem like it to you right now. God is doing amazing things in your life and around you right now. But it's just this and it's just that. I'm just taking the kids to go play at the park and hang out with each other. And I'm just sitting there. Maybe there's a reason you're supposed to be at the park. Or maybe there's a reason your kid is building relationships with the other child. Because God's going to use you in that family. Maybe he's given you time. So that you have it for what he wants you to do. Maybe he's taking time or filling your time. So that the world doesn't fill in the voids. See, I can imagine, and we know that we see the result because Paul will talk about it, about how God prevented him. We don't talk about that a lot in, in Christian circles today, how God prevents us from doing certain things for him. Right? It's in there though, isn't it? Say yes. It's in there. God prevented him from going. He says it. God's preventions allow you to enjoy His current blessings. And let me tell you what blessings are. Blessings are understanding the moving, the voice and the moving of God in the moment in which you are. That's what God's blessings are. If I can understand His moment, why I am where I am, that's a blessing, isn't it? Because I get to understand what the hand of God is doing in it. Uh, in me and around me. See, we talk about blessings as good things that happen to us. That's been sold to Mary. Well, you're blessed. That's a what a blessing. You got a promotion. What a blessing. You got a raise. What a blessing. Your leg grew back. 
You know, whatever it is. We consider them good things. Let me tell you. Those things are events. The good thing is when we see and understand the hand of God. That's blessing. When you read the word blessing, you ought to read it that way. Now, can God bless your bank account? Can God bless your marriage? Can God bless your children? Can God bless your future? I'm going to tell you something. You know how to find the blessings of God? Align your your life with the word of God. And the blessings are in the middle of it because it's the will of God. Whatever that is. Whatever that is. Well, but you don't know my financial situation. You know, God give me a million dollars, I'd tithe on it. What a ripoff. Listen, God didn't be really pulled on that by a con man. Why would he why should he be out nine hundred thousand dollars? Why don't you tell God, if you give me a million dollars, I'll give it away and all the interest. Would that be more selfless? He's sitting in heaven going, well, you don't even tithe now on the thousand dollars I give you. You throw 50 bucks in there and think you tithe. And you're robbing me. And you may wonder why we struggle. Listen, why don't you try to give half your income? Listen, this thing, there ain't nobody going to play this tape twice. <laughs> what difference does it make? It's not about us. You, our date of expiration is coming. You know, we're mourning the loss of John McCain. I don't know if you've heard this, but John McCain passed away. American who shot down, American hero, servant of the, of the people in the nation, uncompromising. There's some things we can learn from him. He was uncompromising. He would not compromise just to get a deal. You know, I was, I was listening to a little bit of the story. I knew that his arms and I heard his knee was broken in his plane wreck. And he landed in a lake and they, the kids... They were so angry, the kids went out there and started beating on him, and they even stabbed him in his groin with a bayonet in the water. And then they threw him in jail, and he used to communicate by tapping. And one of the guys that was with there was being interviewed this morning, and as they started, the war started to wind down, and they started opening and allowing them to talk to each other. John McCain, you know, of course his arms were broken, so he couldn't raise, he couldn't even comb his own hair, folks. He was over there greeting people and shaking hands. And this guy said, you know, that guy's going to be a politician one day. <laughs> How insulting. <laughs> but he saw something different in him. And you know what? The world needs to see something different in us. Our circumstances don't define our usability. Our heart for the Lord does that. And so no matter what events are going on in your life, God is at work. Pay attention. Whatever God calls you to, you must obey Him. It may unfold over time. 
and even be different than what you originally thought, as it did with Paul. But he obeyed without hesitation. Paul thought he was going to Spain. So he headed out on a second missionary journey, headed to Spain. He gets sick. He gets stopped. He's like, well, I'm here. I may as well preach Christ. He preaches Christ. All these things happen. That was what God wanted to happen to begin with. But Paul was focusing on something else. And so if we're in love with Jesus Christ, God's will for us is wherever we are at the moment and speaking and standing for him. Not this event that we arrive at one day. It's the everyday thing of where we are with the Lord. I will tell you this. When, you know when God called, you know God did not call me to be a pastor? Yeah, we knew that. <laughs> God called me into missions. I heard a missionary speak and I said, God, can you use me like that? He said, I will if you'll give me your life. I thought I was going to missions. Do you know why God did that? Because he knew that my issue in following him was giving him my whole heart. And it took missions for me to do that before he could show me what he really wanted to do. And so God meets us where we are, knowing what our needs are. And so all I had to do was obey and follow him with what I had in front of me. And he can change it. Or he can show you, this is why I showed you that. Because what you did is you surrendered everything. Now we can do this. Now we can do this. Because the interesting part of that is I never felt called to youth. But those doors just kept flying open for me. I didn't ever feel like that was my call, but that's what, where the, so as the door, Lord opened the door, that's where I went. Now I love the youth. I love spending time with them. I thought I was going to Spain and I was in Galatia. And so where you are in the moment is where God wants to use you. Stop looking for that thing one day. Start embracing the second, this moment where we are here. And let's let it be everything God wants it to be. You know, when I was a young, when I was young, a student, I had a godly pastor tell me, said a flower has to bloom where it's planted. Y'all ever heard that before? A flower has to bloom where it's planted. It doesn't just say, well, I'm not blooming because I ain't up front, up by the driveway. And as the flower blooms where it's planted, it gets moved to where it can shine the beauty with which it was created. Right? How many of you have ever bought plants or flowers? How many of you, when you're going through there, look for the most unhealthy one with no buds and no, no petals or anything like that? What do we do? That's Judy, because she gets them cheaper. <laughs> and Terry. If you see the stuff she brings home, <laughs> it's one step away from a match. <laughs> but we usually go through there and pick the one with the most buds, the one that looks the most healthiest, that's the tallest, because we're buying by the pot size, right? You have to bloom where you're planted. And so whatever God calls you to obey him, it may unfold, it may unfold under, over time and be different. 
than what you originally thought as it did here with Paul, but he obeyed without hesitation. What else do we learn? The evils of society do not have your best interest at heart. Folks, the stuff out there, I'm going to tell you it's attractive. It looks good. It tastes good. It makes us feel good. But it does not have our best interest at heart. They're a threat and they're dangerous. And you know how I know that? He tells us here that he came to save us to rescue us from that. And if I need rescuing from something, I'm in a dangerous situation and I'm under threat. And what am I under threat? If I'm saved, what's the threat? Not to my eternity. So what's the threat? I'm about to lose everything that God had for me here in this life. If I partake, if I give in, if I go, that's what's in in jeopardy. Because I have the ability to say yes and follow him and the ability to say, no, I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. Right? Okay. Don't give me the look. Here it comes. If you give me that look, I won't leave it there. How many of you have ever sinned knowing it was sin when you did it? Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the crowd. So, we are under threat and we do it willfully. And we're going to miss out and lose if we give into that stuff. So don't go back, ladies and gentlemen. Don't compromise. Don't give in. <laughs> you know, there was a reporter's man telling you, apparently it's not that different anymore. But there was a former Archbishop of Canterbury who arrived in New York City. And when he arrived there, this journalist met him and said, asked him this question. Will you be visiting any of our nightclubs whilst you are here? And the Archbishop mysteriously replied, Are there any nightclubs here? <laughs> you know, he's tongue-in-cheek, right? So here's what happened. The next day, a newspaper headline read, Archbishop's first question on arriving in New York, Are there any nightclubs here? So the world works. It's easy to misquote or misunderstand without a context. See, if you don't have the facts right, you're going to be misled. The best place to begin is from the start, from the very introduction. That's why we need to have this background. We need to lay this groundwork so that as we move into these verses, we're not going to be misled. We're not going to just make them mean what they want them. We want them to mean. We're going to read what God wrote and we're going to understand it as the way he meant it when he wrote it. And so listen, you have to know the truth if you can walk in the truth. If you're going to walk in the truth. If we're going to walk in the truth, we're going to be following him. And that's what our goal is. Is to follow after Christ. Not be misled by this pile of works. 
that the world or the church has tried to put on us. Not be misled by thinking, oh, it's the next thing. You ever dream, dreamt about that one day, how God would use you? Come on, I've done it. I've done it. I'll admit it. God's using you now, today. Let's embrace that. Let's let the energy of the, the moving of the Spirit of God fill this place. Not, oh, you know, we're just waiting on this. And one day, God, you, you know, if you have a spiritual conversation, God has used you. How many of you have had a spiritual conversation that you didn't show that there was an impact immediately during the conversation, but it really made a difference in your life? Yeah. God is using you. And it's not just on you, it's from you. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we're called not to determine the course, but to be on it. To participate where we are. To swing when it's our time at bat. To not stand down, but to stand up. To not back away, but to move forward. To not destroy, but to build up. And we'll turn around one day and see how God used us. It may not be something like Billy Graham, but that was Billy Graham's ministry. Why would we want that? That would be a downgrade for you. Do you realize that? We lift him up like he was this close to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, if Billy Graham ever realized that, and I think he did, it would burden and break his heart. Because that man loved Jesus. That's why God used him. And I'm going to tell you, it ain't about masses. It's about hearts. And when we get our eyes off of that, and we get our eyes on him, then we're going to see the blessings that are around us and how he's working. We're not going to fall into the junk that we're going to find in this, in, that they were falling into in Galatians. And we're going to treasure each and every moment. You know, I started doing a little bit of math. If we would just focus on one person for six months, where would we be in three years? You know, I'm going to pick Joe Bob here. And I'm going to love on him. I'm going to invest in him for six months. And in that six months, Joe Bob and I are going to pick somebody else. And then six months later, we're going to pick somebody else. And before you know it, we're eight to ten people off of one person. Not that numbers matter. But numbers represent people. Jesus loves people. We can't sit here and do nothing. And say we're following the Lord. That's not our calling. He called us to go into the world. An ambassador goes and represents. He goes and talks. He goes and negotiates. Has conversations. He expresses the feelings of his country. This world is not our home, ladies and gentlemen. We go and express the feelings of the one who died and gave his life for us to this world. We are ambassadors. We have a calling. You are called to ministry. Take every opportunity where you are to do that. Must everybody bow their head and close their eyes.